Welcome to Season 3 of A New Voice of Freedom. The podcasts are taken from the four volumes In Defense of Christianity, written by Ronald Keith Messer. This podcast is taken from Poets' Corner. Podcast 148, Part 7, Book 3, is entitled Milton's Paradise Lost, Grace. This podcast, entitled Grace, is a continuation of Milton's epic poem, Paradise Lost. Milton was an independent Christian thinker. He was not always in harmony with church or state. He preached divorce against the climate of his day, and the only thing that saved his life from the state were his blindness and his age. He fled London to escape the Black Plague and relied upon his vast memory of the Holy Bible in writing Paradise Lost. He was a literalist and influenced Christian thought in England for hundreds of years. In these podcasts on Milton, I try to show Milton's views of Christianity. In the following, we continue with the dialogue from Book 3 between the Father and the Son. As they watch Satan fly surreptitiously toward Eden to tempt Adam and Eve, the Father and Son discuss the role of grace. Thus, while God spake, ambrosial fragrance filled all heaven, and in the blessed spirit's elect sense of new joy ineffable diffused. Beyond compare, the Son of God was seen most glorious in him all his Father shone substantially expressed, and in his face divine compassion visibly appeared. Love without end and without measure grace, which uttering thus he to his Father spake. Let us keep in mind as we read Paradise Lost that Milton's stated purpose is to justify the ways of God to man. Here in Book 3, Milton is explaining why God allows Satan to tempt man. He also discusses the need of a savior. The fall is essential to free will, agency, and liberty. Therefore, the Father is providing a way for man to be redeemed from the fall, even before the fall occurs. In the poem, Satan is unaware that he has been observed by the Father. After all, he is flying through chaos at night. He thinks he is invisible. But to God, who is omniscient, nothing is invisible. The Son replies, O Father, gracious was that word which closed thy sovereign sentence, that man should find grace, for which both heaven and earth shall high extol thy praises, and with the innumerable sound of hymns and sacred songs, wherewith thy throne encompassed shall resound thee ever blessed. For should man finally be lost, should man, thy creature so late loved, thy youngest son, fall circumvented thus by fraud, though joined with his own folly? That be from thee far, that far be from thee, Father, who art judge of all things made, and judgest only right. Or shall the adversary thus obtain his end and frustrate thine? Shall he fulfill his malice, and thy goodness bring to naught or proud return, though to his heavier doom, yet with revenge accomplished into hell, draw after him the whole race of mankind, by him corrupted? Or wilt thou thyself abolish thy creation, and unmake for him what for thy glory thou hast made? So should thy goodness and thy greatness both be questioned and blasphemed without defense. In the above, the sun raises some of the greatest paradoxes of Christianity. He raises the following issues. One, why man needs grace. 2. Without grace, man would finally be lost in his own folly. 
3. Without grace, the adversary would obtain his end and destroy mankind. 4. Without grace, God himself would abolish his creation, leaving the creation of man indefensible. The greatest paradox is, why does Christ have to sacrifice his life for us? Why can't the Father, with all of his power, simply snap his fingers and save man? The answer is simple. The Father cannot violate the law of justice, or he would cease to be God. First and foremost, the Father is just. To satisfy justice, someone with godlike powers must offer himself as a ransom and pay the price imposed by justice. Man cannot redeem himself because he is imperfect. Only a perfect being such as Christ can pay the price for our sins. Milton makes it clear that Christ is the only candidate. First, he must take upon himself flesh and blood and die for our sins. Milton shows Christ as a God before he came to earth. Christ is God even on earth, and Christ is God forever. In the following, Milton makes it clear that it is the Father's plan from the beginning to save his children. He also makes it clear that Christ is entirely obedient to the will of the Father. He willingly, at the behest of the Father, offers himself as a sacrifice. Milton establishes the relationship between Father and Son, and the relationship between God and man. Milton shows that the Father and Son are two separate beings, but one in purpose. Milton also shows that man cannot save himself. He can be saved only through grace. However, man has a choice whether to be saved or not. The Father replies, O Son, in whom my soul hath chief delight, Son of my bosom, Son who art alone my word, my wisdom and effectual might, all hast thou spoken as my thoughts are, all as my eternal purpose hath decreed. Man shall not quite be lost, but saved who will, yet not of will in him, but grace in me freely vouchsafe. Once more I will renew his lapse powers, though forfeit and enthralled by sin to foul exorbitant desires. Upheld by me, yet once more he shall stand on even ground against his mortal foe. By me upheld, that he may know how frail his fallen condition is, and to me owe all his deliverance, and to none but me. The father explains to the son that some of his children are more advanced in knowledge and in intelligence. Some I have chosen of peculiar grace, elect above the rest. So is my will. The Father introduces the principles of prayer, repentance, and obedience. Milton refers to conscience as God's umpire. The rest shall hear me call, and oft be warned their sinful state, and to appease betimes the incensed deity, while offered grace invites. For I will clear their senses dark, what may suffice, and soften stony hearts to pray, repent and bring obedience due. To prayer, repentance, and obedience due, though but endeavor with sincere intent, mine ear shall not be slow, mine eye not shut. And I will place within them as a guide my umpire conscience, whom if they will hear, light after light well used they shall attain, and to the end persisting safe arrive. The Father acknowledges man's free will. Those who are sincere will be saved. Those who harden their heart will grow harder still. 
Nevertheless, he will offer grace to all those who repent. His arm of mercy is extended. On the one hand, justice must be satisfied. On the other hand, grace will be extended. This my long sufferance and my day of grace, they who neglect and scorn shall never taste. But hard, be hardened blind, be blinded more, that they may stumble on and deeper fall, and none but such from mercy I exclude. But yet all is not done. Man disobeying, disloyal, breaks his felty, and sins against the high supremacy of heaven, affecting Godhead and soul losing all, to expiate his treason hath not left, but to destruction sacred and devout. He with his whole posterity must die. Die he, or justice must, unless for him some other able and as willing pay the rigid satisfaction. Death for death. Grace, however, can only be given to man if they have a Savior. The Savior must offer himself as a sacrifice of his own free will. He asks, where can he find such a Savior? He is speaking to all of his elect. He was met with absolute silence. All of heaven is mute. Say, heavenly power, where shall we find such love, which for ye will be mortal to redeem man's mortal crime? And just the unjust to save dwells in heaven, charity so dear. He asked, but all the heavenly choir stood mute, and silence was in heaven. On man's behalf, patron or intercessor none appeared, much less that durst upon his own head draw the deadly forfeiture, the ransom said. Milton understood that the sacrifice had to be voluntary. Everything the Father requires is according to free will and agency. None are forced against their will, even though the entire future of mankind was in the balance. From the silence, the Son alone steps forward and offers to pay the ransom. Milton made it clear that the law of justice demanded that a sacrifice be made, or justice could not be satisfied. The Savior said, Behold me then, me for him, life for life I offer. On me let thine anger fall. Account me man. I, for his sake, will leave thy bosom and thy glory next to thee freely put off, and for him lastly die well pleased. On me let death wreck all his rage. Under his gloomy power I shall not long lie vanquished. Thou hast given me to possess life in myself forever. By thee I live. Though now in death I yield, and am his due, all that of me can die. Yet that debt paid, thou wilt not leave me in the loathsome grave his prey, nor suffer my unspotted soul forever with corruption there to dwell. But I shall rise victorious and subdue my vanquisher, spoils of his vaunted spoil. Death his death's wound shall then receive, and stoop inglorious of his mortal sting disarmed. I, through the ample air in triumph high, shall lead hell captive, moger hell, and show the powers of darkness bound. Thou at the sight pleased out of heaven shall look down and smile, while by thee raised I ruin all my foes. Death last, and with his carcass glut the grave. Then with the multitude of my redeemed shall enter heaven long absent, and return, Father, 
to see thy face, wherein no cloud of anger shall remain, but peace assured and reconcilement, wrath shall be no more thenceforth, but in thy presence joy entire. Milton emphasizes the virtues of Christ. He is meek, obedient, and filled with charity. His words here ended, but his meek aspect silent yet spake, and breathed immortal love to mortal men, above which only shone filial obedience. As a sacrifice, glad to be offered, he attends the will of his great Father. Admiration seized all heaven, what this might mean, and whither tend wandering. But soon the Almighty thus replied, Milton, a devout Christian, does not follow the normal narrative. In common Christian conversation, Christ is always at the forefront. Milton also focuses on the role of the Father. He takes the position that it is the Father's plan, and Christ is carrying out the will of the Father in everything. One is reminded of the following words of the Savior. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, from the Lord's Prayer. O Father! If it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou will. Prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane. My meat is to do the will of him that sent me, and to finish his work. John 4.34 I can of mine own self do nothing. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just because I seek not mine own will, but the will of the Father which hath sent me. John 5.30 The Father expresses his love for all of his works. One thing that is easily lost is that with creation comes a deep, abiding love of that creation. Since man is God's greatest creation, it is no surprise that he wants all mankind to be saved. The Father finds joy in all of his creations, Milton makes it clear that it is only through his only begotten Son that he created heaven and earth and man, but he also makes it clear that Christ created everything under the direction of the Father. That gives deep meaning to Christianity's favorite scripture, John three sixteen and 17. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. In the concluding lines, the Father makes the following declarations. 1. God allows Christ to leave his presence, for without him all mankind would be lost. 2. Christ steps down from his high position at the right hand of God and becomes like man. 3. If Christ does not ransom man, none can be saved. 4. Adam's transgression brought spiritual death to all mankind. 5. Only the merits of Christ shall absolve man if they repent. 6. The love of God shall overcome the hatred of Satan. 7. Though Christ becomes mortal, he shall remain perfect. 8. Christ is equal to the Father. 9. Christ is the Son of God by merit more than by birthright. 10. Christ shall reign forever as head of the human race because of his sacrifice. 11. The Father gives all power to the Son, who shall be anointed universal king. 12. All knees shall bow to Christ. 13. Christ shall bring about the resurrection of all mankind. 14. 
Christ shall be appointed judge of all mankind. 15. In the end, the earth shall be burned with fire, but it will become a new heaven and a new earth, and be the eternal home of all the sanctified, and they shall dwell with Christ forever on the sanctified earth. 16. God commands all the other gods in heaven to adore his only begotten Son because of his redeeming love. 17. They must honor Christ even as they honor him. O thou in heaven and earth, the only peace found out for mankind under wrath, O thou my soul's complacence, well thou knowest how dear to me are all my works, nor man the least, though last created that for him I spare thee from my bosom and right hand to save, by losing thee a while, the whole race lost. Thou therefore, whom thou only canst redeem, their nature also to thy nature join, and be thyself man among men on earth, made flesh, when time shall be a virgin seed by wondrous birth. Be thou in Adam's room the head of all mankind, though Adam's son. As in him perish all men, so in thee, as from a second root, shall be restored, as many as are restored without thee none. His crime makes guilty all his sons. Thy merit imputed shall absolve them who renounce their own both righteous and unrighteous deeds, and live in thee transplanted and from thee receive new life. So man, as his most just, shall satisfy for man, be judged and die, and dying rise, and rising with him raise his brethren, ransomed with his own dear life. So heavenly love shall outdo hellish hate, giving to death, and dying to redeem, so dearly to redeem, what hellish hate so easily destroyed, and still destroys, in those who, when they may, accept not grace. Nor shalt thou, by descending to assume man's nature, lessen or degrade thine own, because thou hast, though throned in highest bliss, equal to God, and equally enjoying godlike fruition, quitted all to save a world from utter loss, and hast been found by merit more than birthright son of God found worthiest to be so by being good, far more than great or high. Because in thee love hath abounded more than glory abounds, therefore thy humiliation shall exalt with thee thy manhood also to this throne. Here shalt thou sit incarnate, here shall reign both God and man, son both of God and man, anointed universal king. All power I give thee, reign forever, and assume thy merits. Under thee is head supreme, thrones, princedoms, powers, dominions I reduce. All knees to thee shall bow, of them that bide in heaven, or earth, or under earth in hell. When thou attended gloriously from heaven shall in the sky appear, and from thee send the summonsing archangels to proclaim thy dread tribunal. Forthwith from all winds the living, and forthwith the sighted dead of all past ages to the general doom shall hasten. Such appeal shall rouse their sleep. Then all the saints assembled thou shalt judge bad men and angels. 
They arrange shall seek beneath thy sentence. Hell, her numbers full thenceforth shall be forever shut. Meanwhile the world shall burn, and from her ashes spring new heaven and earth, wherein the just shall dwell, and after all their tribulations long see golden days, fruitful of golden deeds, with joy and love triumphing and fair truth. Then thou thy regal scepter shall lay by, for regal scepter them no more shall need. God shall be all in all, but all ye gods adore him, who to compass all this dies. Adore the Son, and honor him as me. Thank you for listening. Watch for our next podcast. In Defense of Christianity is available at RonaldMesser.com.